it's never too late to be what you might have been. That is a quote by George Eliot. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 47. Before I get into this week's guest introduction, I would like to tell you guys that I have revamped my website. And if you know someone or if you yourself want to be a guest on Trina Talk or you would like me to be a guest on your podcast, please go to my website and Fill out the form and the website address is bit.ly forward slash Trina Martin podcast. Also, on another note, just to keep you, my community updated, I just want to let you know that my book is in the final stages of editing and we're going to see if I can get it published by the end of the year. So that'll make a great uh, Christmas gift for um, people that you know, and I'll probably be giving away a couple of copies as well to a couple of um, listeners. But I have my cover designed and the last last stages of editing, so I'm very excited. So on to this week's show. The topic of this week's episode is Appreciate Yourself. My guest this week is Becky Paraz. Becky doesn't fit in. She has worked for nearly 30 years in the construction industry, taking names and making one for herself. Beck makes her place in the world. She has never waited for a space to open for her. Moving beyond mentoring within the industry, Becky is now seeking highly motivated individuals who are looking for the next level of performance and mindset to success. She is a published author, performance coach and mentor, trainer and facilitator, and loves presenting her message to motivated people when she gets a chance. Hi, Becky. Welcome to the show. Hi, Trina. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you could be here. Um, You're taking time out of your busy schedule from there in Australia, and I am just happy to be talking with you. And I see that you're a speaker and a writer. Can you tell me, is that's something that you've always done. How did you come to this point where you are today? So I um, actually have a background in engineering and construction project management. And one day my boss, uh, my manager at the time, told me uh, they need to deliver some toolboxes, which under the Australian safety laws is information to um, pass on to your employees about how to work safe and all that sort of thing. So he nominated me for the very first one to deliver this um, 40-minute speech to 600 men essentially working on on the team. And I'd never really done a lot of public speaking up until then. So after being very ill at the thought and having a a wonderful uh, team member create a a PowerPoint for me, I delivered the talk, threw in a bit of humour and actually received a a standing ovation as it was. I got applause for it. so not only having some immediate and spontaneous applause from about 600 men is a little bit addictive, uh, my boss is also incredibly jealous in that he'd never seen anyone receive applause for a toolbox. So therein kind of became my addiction to public speaking and I've been doing it for over 15 years now in various industry forums, women's forums, um, support groups to the industry and, and now I'm branching out and doing a bit more in terms of getting out there and talking to more women, I suppose, about my message. So I tend to fall into these things and that's how I fell into writing as well. I was actually looking for a friend who was interested in writing and in discussions with the lady about what it was all about, she actually requested something from me. 
And based on one of the talks I'd given to a particular women's group, um, they seemed to have this, this premise that was quite unique to me, that men are taught a lot more things about how to do business and how to present and market and, and um negotiate than, than women had access to and of course growing up in construction through my career that was kind of fascinating to me to sort of realize that women perhaps didn't have these skills that I'd learned to take for granted and so that sort of developed into not only a, a presentation but it developed into a chapter that I, I sort of wrote about the secret language of men because what I realized is if I knew this I could impart that to other women and share that knowledge and therein developed another addiction um, having written project plans and procedures and interpretive legislation and being fairly formal in my technical writing, the freedom to create outside of that format kind of sparked in me a, a real interest to kind of go, well, why stop here? And uh, here we are about five years later. I've published my first book and I've got about three other non-fictions and I'm developing a fiction series as well. So I really got that bug too. Um, that's uh, that's probably my background with that. It kind of glosses over the whole construction part, but that's um, that's. I, I kind of say to people, I feel like I leave three lives in terms of the things that I do, and I don't quite know how I fit them all in, actually. <laughs> that's so fascinating. I'm sitting and listening to your story, and did you ever think? I mean, you're by trade, you're a construction engineer. Did you ever was writing or speaking ever one of your passions or something that you ever wanted to do? Not initially, no. When I when I first got into this, I was I was more or less running away from my childhood. I had a fairly horrid childhood, dysfunctional family, alcoholic father, and and lots of um, lots of the associated abuse that came with that. So I was really seeking a way out of that. And, and engineering, I was good at maths and science. I did technical drawing, so I was kind of guided that way by guidance counsellors and school mentors and things like that, without having any idea what it was. So as I did my uni course and worked my way through uni to pay for it, I kind of developed not so much an interest in engineering, but with the business itself, I kind of, and I think no one really thinks about how our houses and our offices and our roads and our bridges are built. So to have that whole behind the scenes element, that's what I was fascinated in. And that's where my career was. And obviously the money, because it, you know, it was something I never had growing up and it was very attractive because it meant I could have what I wanted and I had freedom from my childhood. So that was much more my focus in my younger years. It really wasn't anything on my radar until I started doing a bit of, I suppose you could call it self-help and I did some coaching courses and things like that to kind of help me get past my childhood and stop I suppose, you know, stop some of those things that kept coming up around the imposter syndrome. You know, I was told I never belonged as a child and then I went into an industry as a female where I was told I never belonged. So there was a lot of baggage and it wasn't until I started removing that baggage and unpacking it that all these other things became possible. And even then I still wasn't kind of like that's the career for me. I thought I was going to be a world-famous project manager and get flowed around the world to solve all these problems. And then, you know, as I said, I developed the addiction to speaking and, addiction to writing and now I'd like to get flown around the world to talk about all that sort of stuff as well but I have integrated it all in some of my messages I suppose where I talk about resilience and confidence and leadership and a lot of those things that women tend to shy away from like competition you know I really embrace that stuff in terms of how it's helped me develop and how it's helped me challenge myself and that's a part of the messages I try and get out in my various formats so it's only really probably the last 10 years I've really developed that taste for speaking for writing and for being a far more public figure than I ever, ever planned to be. Hmm. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that. So that leads me to ask this question in your um, career field. How was that being a woman in a primarily dominated male field? What kind of things did you encounter and that you had to overcome? So many things. Um, so, of course, you know, with a, with a childhood as it was, there was a lot of fear around men, a lot of fear around anger. And I'm talking 30 years ago when we didn't have a lot of the education we had around bullying and a more holistic approach about that people are actually people. Um, so, you know, the messages I first got when I came in was, this is a man's world and you don't really belong here if you want to stay fitting in. 
um, you know, suck it up, deal with the environment you're in. You know, I come back from the day where there was still the those sorts of magazines in the workplace environment and it was acceptable and it's not acceptable these days. So I've seen a lot of changes. But in my early years, it was tough because I had to fit in with them and that was overwhelming the message I got, fit in or go away. Um so there was a lot of internal overcoming as well as that external messaging. I, on the other side, I um, have a very high IQ and I was fortunate enough to work with men who could recognise that and they weren't confronted by a female having this level of intelligence and they actively encouraged it. And I call them mentors, even though that word wasn't around back then. And they actively gave me challenges and encouraged me to stick it out and helped me work my way through some of those issues because to be told every day you don't belong is really quite hard it takes a lot of fortitude a lot of resilience and resilience wasn't even a word I knew back then so it was just a case of more sheer bloody mindedness and refusal to give up that I suppose I grasped onto that then developed into all these other you know really wonderful attributes but back then it was like you know what, you've told me I can't do this and I really hate being told what I can't do, so now I'm going to. You know, my first years in my career were very much based on that and that's not a great motivational tool to help you enjoy your role. It's a great motivational tool to help you get to your role, to achieve a new role, but it's not very self-satisfying to just do it to prove other people wrong. So I worked on changing a lot of that um, and realised also too that I loved the industry. And now that's a part of why I want to mentor and coach young women because as much as society has changed, those attitudes are still there. They're not as bad and they're not as prevalent, but they're still there and it's still it's a tough industry. No matter how holistic and how embracing they might be of whatever gender, it's still a tough industry. It's, you know, it's hard conditions, it's long hours, it's constant. You live and breathe this world and you either learn to love it or you get out because you just, you can't handle it. You've got to have a real taste for that challenge and for that drive and for that self-motivation to, to see a patch of dirt and, and wait until there's a building there that someone is going to come and use and appreciate. So there's a lot of skills and a lot of things I've overcome during that. But equally, I've had a lot of support from some of the men I've worked with, which I, I can't thank them enough for seeing what I never saw in me back then. Because obviously, coming from the childhood I did, I was never uh, encouraged to be smart. I was never encouraged to show my talents. I was never encouraged to be confident or speak out. And of course, all of these things are really important, not only just being in the construction industry, but being a woman in the construction industry. I was made a manager at 24. And that was really appreciated. My boss obviously saw those talents in me and really wanted to encourage me. But the reflection back from other people who couldn't understand a 24-year-old being charged with telling them what to do was also quite harsh. And some of that was from women as well. I got a very nasty poison pen letter from, a, from an older lady who was quite miffed that she had this young thing in charge of her. And so those things are really, really tough when you don't have any coping, coping skills from your childhood or from anywhere else. So there's been a lot, a lot I've overcome to turn into the um, amazing creature that I think I am these days. Wow. I, I can relate to your story on so many levels because I had an abusive childhood and just working my way through it. Um, how, how did you come to the point? Because as you were saying, you were 24, you were put into a leadership role you were working in a predominantly male field, but even though there were some other women, how did you get to the point where you you built up that self-confidence with, within yourself to know that you can do the job, that you could do the job, and regardless of what other people thought, you were going to do whatever was necessary to build the skills for you to continue in your career? How how did that come about and or did someone take you under their wings and and show you the ropes? 
Probably a bit of both. So I was a, a reader from a very early age. Um, I recognise, obviously, in hindsight, that my mother never finished reading me Charlotte's Web as my first ever book that I remember. Um, and I understand why, because of what was happening in, in her life at the time. But as a three-year-old, you don't really get that. So I taught myself to read in order to finish that book. And, of course, not knowing that that's not supposed to happen when you're three, four, five years of age. Um I just did it. And so I've been an avid reader. I was reading Charles Dickens when I was, you know, eight, nine, ten years of age, Sherlock Holmes and all those classics. So Charles Dickens, particularly Great Expectations, I kind of gave me an idea that there was more out there in the world. He was this orphan who was alone and it turns out he had this benefactor and ended up being able to access this great life. Now, unfortunately, my benefactor never turned up. Um, but what I eventually came to realise is that I could be my own benefactor. So combined with that, I suppose I've never, I never really failed at anything. I was always smart at school and, you know, there was some bullying associated with that, but I was a straight-A student um, or, you know, I'm not sure what that sort of relates to in the US, but top marks, <clears throat> excuse me, top marks all of the time. Mm -hmm. So I had what I recognise now was a success passion of being able to do things. So when I got into an industry where I was told I couldn't do that, I never took that as me personally being unable to. I took that as their inability to see my skills. So what I realised is I was actually quite confident from quite a young age because of it, but I didn't know what that was because of all the other stuff and because of the issues and because of being told you don't fit in. It's very hard to work your way through that maze. But inside me there was this, well, I know I can. I know I can. I can learn. I can embrace this. I can educate. I can ask questions. And that's one of the benefits, actually, of being a woman in these types of industries is you're not afraid to ask questions. You're not afraid to look stupid. Um, because they already think that anyway. So, and it was a case of just engaging with people and kind of going, well, no, I don't know about it. I'm, that's why I'm asking you. Could you, you're the smart one. Can you share me the knowledge? And I had a bit of sarcasm, a bit of attitude in me. So some of them didn't react well, but some of them kind of saw the humour and kind of went, oh, well, yeah, actually, that <laughs> seems fair enough. Why wouldn't you ask if you don't know? So I was embracing of all the knowledge so it's just this little sponge that kind of tell me this and tell me this and tell me this I know more about door handles than I ever thought I'd ever want to <laughs> you know um but it's all knowledge and it's all useful and it all comes around in some point um so it's just a case of really looking back knowing that I knew I could do anything and that these external messages telling me I couldn't again I, it was that incentive to kind of go well that's not true, so I'm going to prove you wrong. Not quite understanding in a political environment, that's not the smartest thing to do with some of the bosses who were confronted by this very intelligent, very attitudinal young woman. So, I, you know, I made some mistakes in that realm, but what it did is gave me that, that drive to kind of never quit and kind of go, you think I don't belong here, I'm going to make a place for me here. And in doing so, I think that I've helped make that place for the other women that have come through, and it, as well as all the other women who were there when I was there. But we didn't know about each other back then. There were no help groups. There were no awards for women. There was nothing like that when I started. We all kind of did it ourselves, and we didn't know there were other women out there that we could maybe leverage from. So fortunately, as I said, I had some men who supported me through that. But really, it was that, that internal drive to kind of go, I'm no quitter. So... Um, as hard as it is and as much as I don't want to and as much as I hate my job or my boss or my environment right now, I'm not going to let this beat me. And that came to the fore when I was 18 and I was diagnosed with a, a chronic illness, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Now, most people think that's an old person's disease. Turns out not so much. And at 18, after working for a year and a half and doing my uni and sort of starting to get into that life I'd always dreamed I could possibly have, I was struck down with this crippling disease. I couldn't hold the hairbrush and brush my hair. I couldn't do up buttons. You know, I had little old lady crippled hands and I couldn't walk. I shuffled. I was in huge amounts of pain. So once again, I had this challenge to kind of, well, give up. And that was the messages I was told. I went to some support groups and all that sort of stuff. But these were people who'd already lived their lives. There were no young people around to kind of share this experience. So, you know, I'll just give up your career. Just stop what you're doing. Just do something else. And that kind of really set my spine straight going, well, no. So that too, in that very early environment, in those very early years, kind of gave me the whole, you know, screw you guy kind of thing. Um, 
in terms of I had messages from the people, I had messages from my own body and being obviously quite stubborn, I just kind of went, well, too bad. I'm going to do it anyway. So I had this real overwhelming life choice that doesn't matter I'm going to do it and I have you know I was told I'd be in a wheelchair at 24 I'm 40 or something and I'm still walking you know I was told the disease and its side effects would probably kill me before I turned 40 and I was in the US actually um, invited to be a speaker and doing a book signing tour and I ended up in Vegas for my 40th birthday celebrating it kind of going well take that, everyone who told me I couldn't do it and wouldn't make it, here I am, um, you know, at the Grand Canyon looking at the most amazing structure in the world, naturally formed, and uh, I made it and I did it. So that's um, there's a whole lot more into that story, obviously, but I think that gives you some of the highlights of what it took to actually make it and how deep I had to dig. Wow. I love your story because you are full of determination. Like I said, I, I can relate with you on so many levels. I'm just listening and I'm I'm drawing a, a correlation between your story and mine. And it's it's just funny how how we we do these things, how we, you know, get that resilience and that determination, how we kind of self-build. But I'm wondering if you at any time, because you were so determined. And like you said, when people said, oh, you couldn't do something, that was just more fuel for you to show them that you could. At any point, did you feel, you know what, I'm doing all of this to prove to them that I can do something and I'm really tired or this is not something that I want to do? Did you ever have that feeling? Oh, absolutely. So not only the imposter syndrome, which is just a natural occurrence for women in that sort of environment, feeling like they don't belong and at any minute they're going to be outed, but I did have, I had the disease and I had a lot of medication and when I when I realised that I hadn't dealt with a lot of my childhood, I just kind of buried it and put it away and ignored it, it all came crashing down. Um, I had another boss who was confronted by what I was doing. He'd had some new people employed who did not like the fact that I had authority. So I was in this company where there were two people, excuse me, and they brought me in and I built their systems up, I built their projects up. I basically did everything behind the scenes except run the jobs out on the site. Um, I took them from 70000 a month to $10 million a month in a year and a half because of the efficiencies and the way that I work and all those things. So these people came in after seeing that. So they didn't understand my contribution and they probably didn't care either. So this um, boss decided one day that it wasn't really working and that, you know, I was, I was the only person who had an office and I'd just done some coaching as well, which also combined my ability to ask better questions instead of getting resentful or just kind of copying attitude or whatever I, I had learned through that process to ask really insightful really good questions so I'm like so hang on there are four other men here I'm the only woman with an office so what are you trying to say and it, he got really frustrated with this and it finally dawned on me that this wasn't about my performance this wasn't about any issues this was about the fact that people in the office were uncomfortable and I, they just didn't want me there mm. so I kind of took that as much as I could with good grace at the time and said okay well how about I leave and let's just call it that then he kind of backpedaled oh yeah but you've got some things to do and you know oh, if you can just finish this off and finish this off and that is when I lost it and I kind of went so I'm not good enough to stay here I'm not good enough to receive rewards I'm not good enough to have an office and a car and all these things you're throwing at me but I'm good enough to finish all the stuff that you don't want me to drop because no one here wants to do it hmm. I said a few rude words and left mm. <laughs> um, and said, no, you're on your own. And that was really powerful for me because I'd never, ever stood up for myself quite in that way with anyone before and really just kind of going, you know what, I don't have to. I don't, you're not going to say good things about me. I'm not going to get a good reference because of how you feel anyway. I am losing nothing here by telling you exactly what I think of you and how disgusting your behaviour is. I'm done. So I hopped on that high horse and rode off. The problem was... As you rightly asked me, I had built up so much around my career and made that my life that when I walked away from that, I realised I had very little else. Mm. And so I neglected myself and put myself in a hospital for about six months and I actually had to learn to walk again. So my disease became really active and I had it under really good control. I was working out. I had a PT, a personal trainer. You know, life was great. And then it just all came crashing down like a house of cards. 
what that taught me was that I needed more than my job and mm. more than my environment. And so in that came an understanding that as much as I loved it, I didn't want to live it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I kind of went and did hobbies. And I have a, there's a funny story about that too. I kind of went and got hobbies like people get, I don't know, um, uh, you know, collector cards. <laughs> so I went out and I did this hobby. I'm like, okay, great, I've done that. I've got a certificate, you know, good. Then I went and did another hobby. I kind of didn't get this concept because of my childhood and all the rest of it. The hobbies were things you find that you like doing and you keep doing them. So that's always a bit amusing. So I kind of had this real exploration of what do I like? What do I do outside of work? Um, and that was that was kind of fun. You know, I did some oil painting. I did some really creative stuff, which as an engineer is kind of really contrasting. And that's probably where my interest in being creative and my, my love of it and the freedom that comes with it compared to what I'd been doing came through. So it took me another 10 years to find writing. But I think that was the start of that journey of I need something else. You know, I need friends that I can go out and talk about that aren't from the industry. And we go and talk about other stuff. What what other stuff is there? You know, that's when I started to get interested in things like politics and, you know, world um, issues. It's where I became more aware that, a lot of women who had the childhood I had don't make it the way I did. They're not successful, that I defy the statistics because statistically speaking with what I went through, you know, homelessness, drug addiction, abusive behaviour, repeating those cycles, pregnant early, all that sort of thing is far more likely because those types of women, including myself, never had access to know that there was more and that they could be more, have more, do more. So, that's when that journey sort of started to change and that's when I started also it all coincided public speaking getting outside a bigger world talking to women's groups and kind of really opening my eyes to the world outside of construction because that was my whole world until that point wow amazing amazing and thank you it, it just you know it and I'm glad you touched on the the part about having your identity wrapped up into your your job because I think a lot of people do that is they get so immersed in the job and trying to do well that they forget about themselves. And I, I, you know, I'm a firm believer that you have to take care of yourself and not let that be your identity. Because just like you said, they can dispose of you at, you know, any time if they feel that, you know, you're not who they like or doing what they want, but then, only person you have is you and you have to take care of yourself it's just very much so and that's that's what I realized it was there was very few people for me then and I kind of went well if I don't look after me there is no one else that's going to look after me I really need to check in with what I'm doing to myself here Mm. so tell me how you changed your life from that point on as far as your health and then you're getting into um, speaking. So when you left that job, did you ever go back into um, corporate, back into the um, construction engineering, or did you just go off into your writing and your speaking? Uh, no, I put myself in a hospital for six months, as I said. Mm-hmm. That was a really tough journey physically and mentally to recover from. So there was probably undiagnosed depression and all those sorts of things. Um you know, I kind of got, became a person that was quite happy to just sit and stare at a wall for days on end. Mm. But eventually that wasn't satisfying. Um, you know, eventually I had to check in with those mental processes that were just shushed and I quiet, what I call the black space, um, and kind of go, this isn't, it isn't working. You know, I made a decision at 18 that I wasn't going to give up. What am I doing? This looks like giving up. So a whole lot of self-talk, a whole lot of self-flagellation, a whole lot of not being very nice to myself, plus then trying to be nice to myself. I was very confused for a while. And then eventually I just kind of went, I need to get my stuff together. So that was then, okay, what do I want my life to look like? And that's when I started to use the skills and recognise the skills, you know, confidence, resilience. I've been through so much. Was I going to really let this obnoxious man who was so inferior that he had to get me out of his environment actually determine the rest of my life and sometimes you've got to ask yourself that question it's like am I really going to let that nothing make my decisions for me and I realized that's what I was doing so the journey out of the pitch was longer than I would have liked 
But what I did with that is I cleaned up everything. I cleaned up my childhood. I cleaned up those issues. I cleaned up all those bad behaviours, all the... All the, all the things that I used to motivate myself that were negative and the coaching was a really big part of that. You know, they call that away from motivation. I don't want to be this and I don't want to be that and I don't want to be there. So I started reframing that to what do I want? And it's really hard. We all struggle with, well, what do I want? We all know what we don't want. So what do I want? So that's when I started to build the life of, okay, so I do want to be on stage. I really like doing that. And I think I actually have a lot to tell. I do want to have a good career. I would love to be somewhere where I'm appreciated, but I was starting to accept that maybe as the strong, powerful woman that I was turning into, I might not be. So then I needed to create a space for myself. Um, the writing hadn't come into it yet, but once I sort of picked myself up and dusted myself off and gave myself a good talking to, I then fell into a job that actually paid me three times the amount this guy was paying me. The boss loved what I was doing and immediately after about a couple of weeks gave me a promo. I immediately discovered some amazing friends. So it's amazing what happens when you clean up your old stuff. Mm. There's, a, there's a space for this, all this new stuff and I, I proved that. So all of a sudden I went from this, you know, depressed person who was never able to cut it because of these men to be in an environment where I was loved, I was supported, I was wanted. And don't get me wrong, there were still people who didn't show that, but I was actually able to see how many there were showing that positive element. And I've still got friends from that time and that's about, well, that's 15, 15 years ago now. So for me, having friends in my life for 15, 20 years is kind of remarkable too because, you know, I didn't as a child who moved around and it was very hard to get to know people because I could never invite them home, I could never tell them about my life. So having people in my life at that length of time means a lot to me and that's the people I attracted back then. So, you know, I, I had a boss who bought me a tiara and dubbed me the quality queen because I was doing um, QA. I had a really good mentor introduce me to some really interesting elements of risk management, which I still use to this day and still thank him for deeply for taking the time. So I looked around and found all the support that I probably had before but didn't really recognise because of all the stuff I was carrying around. So so that was, that was the process I went through and I've just kind of been building on it ever since. You know, I check in. Is this past? Is this baggage? Is this just related to something else and can I let it go? Is this what I want? I've kind of given up the I don't want that and gone with it. I do want that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's another really powerful message, um, not just women but for, for people in general. But I think as women we're very much clear on what we don't want. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're never really clear on what we do want. You know, do we want children? Do we want marriage? Do we want a career? Do we want politics? Do we want fashion? Do we want beautiful hair, beautiful eyes? You know, all these things. We we take we take the messages we're given, like you should wear makeup and you should wear corporate suits and you should look like this and you should dress like this, and we absorb them and we never really check in. Well, is that who I want to be and is that what I want to do? And that's a part of my message in terms of you know embracing your in a gladiator and being a misfit and being comfortable with not fitting in because well I never did and when I tried it didn't work so that's a big part of the I suppose the realization and acceptance and moving on from that previous life to the fabulous life I have now is really going I don't fit in and I'm okay with that I'm comfortable with that I accept that and if other people don't well that's okay because I don't fit in so they don't have to fit in with me as long as they don't take that further and make it an active engagement of negativity, um, then so be it, live and let live. Now, some people have, and I quickly extract myself from those situations as best I can. I'm quite comfortable giving feedback if I need to. But at the end of the day, I'm living my life for me because I've had so many chances to not live it and so many things that have tried to take it away that I'm not letting anyone else do that to me, never again. I love your message. I it's just Thank you. yeah, I, I love it and it's so it's so true and it's so and it's something that I try to do as well in, in my speaking and motivation, but it is just so amazing and it's um it's amazing how many people, like you said, don't know what they want and don't know who they are in order to be able to define what they want. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's a lot of people that I'm finding that are just, you know, just on auto. They get up and they do the things and they don't 
you ask them why, <laughs> yes. why they're doing it and they don't even know they, they're working a job that they don't like or they're just living. They're just letting life happen to them. They're not really living and being intentional on their living. They're just they wake up and oh, OK, whatever. If the wind blows this way, that's the way I go. And and I'm going, come on, wake up. You can do something about this, but not not a not a lot of people really tap into themselves and and do the work within themselves to get to that point. I think because it's hard and it's confronting and you have to be really clear that there's some elements of yourself that aren't pretty and aren't nice and are negative and uh, maybe even cruel and mean. You know, I, I, I see a lot of people scared of their own shadow and I don't mean shadow as in what the sun creates. I mean the shadow, the dark side, the negative side of them. And because I work in an environment where actually that becomes a positive in some regards. Um, but also, too, because I had to do all that exploration. It's hard. It's confronting. And I think, unfortunately, our lifestyle and our environment and our politics has made us willing to be comfortable to the exclusion of being happy. Mm. And I think people get that confused, just like you were saying. You know, some people just live life and let life happen to them instead of going out and happening to life. You know, people talk about doors opening for opportunity. One of my one of my catchphrases: I don't wait for doors to open; I kick them in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I go and seek the opportunities. I don't, I don't wait around for good things to happen because in my childhood that never did. I don't believe that. I believe that I go out and happen to things. Um, and then opportunities come and then spaces open up. But if I'm sitting and waiting for it and just thinking it's going to happen, I'm wasting my time. And, you know, when I had no time to live, when I was given the sentence of, you know, 40 years and that's it, I made them count. You know, I got to 40 and kind of went, oh, bucket list finished. Now I need a new one. And that's when the writing and that sort of thing has come in. So, No, I really hear you. And it's really sad. And that's why I want to get my message out there and and have more to say and encourage more women to kind of, it doesn't mean throwing away your your heels and your makeup and your husband. It just means kind of going, I can do better. I can have better. I want to be better. And then going and finding those strategies and doing the hard work. It's not easy. It's not a case of thought processes. Just believe it and it will happen like some of these self-help books offer. (laughs) There's a lot more to it and it's hard because it's internal and you have to be really, really honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself that some of the things you do are in reaction to things that happened to you in childhood and not necessarily a result of what you're in now. That's really tough because then you kind of go, oh, well, maybe I overreacted or I wasn't a good person in that. So then you need to forgive yourself and move on and kind of go, well, that's great. Now I recognise that I don't have to do it again. But all of that's really emotionally draining and stretching and confronting and all those things. And I really do feel for people who don't understand how worth it it is when you get to the other side. Mm, I so agree. Oh my goodness, that we can talk forever about that because I am right on that. I think so. I'm right on that same page with you. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. So tell me, Becky, you, you said you've written books. Tell me about some of your books. Okay. So it started by contributing to anthologies, so which were published in the US actually. So a women's publishing group um, was the first person who approached me. And that was, that was sort of books on various topics. So coaching, you know, sink, swim or float, which is resilience, um, overcoming the good girl syndrome. I'm like, oh, I can write so much about that. So I was contributing a chapter each of these anthologies for a year or two. And then I kind of realized I like words and I'm very wordy. So I was always math oriented when I was, when I was a kids and that's what everyone told me I was good at but it turns out I have quite a talent for words so so this was really opening my eyes up to me realizing that actually I've been a writer most of my career I've just done technical writing not creative writing Mm. so discovering that difference and the freedom of creative writing even though it was non-fiction I had a lot to say which you can probably tell from the interview I have a lot to say anyway (laughs) so the idea of putting it into books and into words meant I could reach a wider audience which meant I could reach more women which meant I could share my message with more people 
So that became a bit of a, a fire in my belly around that. So I contributed to about a dozen anthologies. I found a magazine, um, an empowerment magazine, which taught me how to write succinctly. So putting the same ideas that I put into, say, 3,000 words into 800 words. That was quite a challenge, actually, but that's why I embraced it, to kind of learn how to do that. So that all then became my first self-published book, The Words of Beck. Um, so rather than encourage people to go and buy, you know, 12 anthologies that maybe they won't necessarily get much out of, um, if they're just after my words, I kind of put it all into one book. So that's the book I have out now, Words of Beck, um, probably more of a branding and marketing exercise because obviously, and I think every author goes through this, once you've done the first one, you kind of go back and go, oh, so many things I should have done better and differently and I'd change, etc. But it's there and I am very proud of it. I probably haven't taken the time out to be proud of it enough because it's just another thing I've done on the long list of things that I've done. Um, so that, but as I said, that gave me the bug. So now I've got, I want to write a book about what it's really like to live with a chronic illness and, you know, the non-pretty stuff. I want to write a book about, you know, corporate fairy tales. So kind of taking that fairy tale world into the corporate environments and, you know, having a bit of fun with that. But some lessons for our younger women who don't, get exposed to the books we got exposed to exposed to and the way we learnt lessons back then they're not they're not given resilience tools they're not given confidence tools i think in some ways with social media and the world where it is younger women have it actually harder than we did you know mm -hmm. we only had our immediate surrounds to tell us we didn't fit in and we weren't good enough now the whole world tells these young girls they're not good enough and that's i can't even imagine how much of a struggle that is so I want to be able to make these words available and train and support and coach and mentor these younger women to kind of go don't listen to them what do you want to do then just do it no matter what don't give in mm -hmm. don't give up don't listen to the words get off social media if you possibly can because I understand that's really hard to do these days mm -hmm. I mean even I struggle you know it's where the marketing is it's where you've got to be present right but it's just so so full on. So um, I, I can't remember what the question was now. I think I got myself a bit distracted. <laughs> but, um, it, yeah, so I want to get more messages out there. I actually now want to um, – my fiction series is based in construction. I want to really honour where I've come from and the fact that I grew up in this industry. And I think I got more out of this industry than I would have anywhere else because of the challenges it gave me both internally and professionally, I am who I am because of my career 30 years in, the, in, that, in that industry. So I want to write a fiction series based in that. So I've got a few ideas. It's probably going to be a bit future-based, maybe a little bit steampunky. Um, and it's going to have lots of mayhem and crime and all sorts of stuff like that, um, just, you know, because I've got to make a story about it. But I'm really looking forward to kind of really genuinely bringing that construction world to life for people. So... And I, I think that there's a lot of merit in embracing the industry that you come from. Even if you don't like it, you've learnt so much from it and there's so many skills that are translatable. And I see this everywhere. Women are like, oh, but I'm just this. Well, no, you're actually a negotiator. You've got client relations. You've got this. You know, there's so many skills when you break down what you actually do that are transferable. But we as women aren't taught to look at that. You know, we're just... Oh, you're just a mother. Wow. I have two puppies, um, which is a new innovation in my life. They're not puppies anymore. They're Rhodesian Ridgebacks, so they're now currently monsters, as I call them. But training them and dealing with them and potty training and all of that stuff, I'm like, whoa, there is no way I could have ever been a mother. You know, I have puppies. I can throw mine outside for a couple of hours and I don't get arrested for that sort of behaviour. <laughs> so really, I mean, I always appreciated women who have children, but this just gives me a whole new insight to them. You know, motherhood is not just raising a child. It's decision-making, it's resilience, it's emotional management, it's coaching, it's, oh, I can't even list the things. There are so many characteristics about being a mother that mothers should really, really embrace and realise how awesome they are to get up every day and deal with these little monsters and turn them into human beings. That's <laughs> um, that's an incredible skill. Um so, you know, I just, I just think that we as women don't break down our skills and look at what we actually do. We just get it done. 
And because we don't get the accolades from the external, we don't take the time to give them to us internally. And I think that's really sad. I think that there's a lot less self-love out there because we don't take time to recognise how good we are for just getting out of bed some days is a really huge thing for people. You know, they when they're getting to your job and making decisions and talking nicely to people when all you want to do is hide under that blanket for a good 24 hours. You know, these things are big. We don't think them think of them as big, but when we do it and we don't want to and it's hard and we just get up and we just make it happen and we just feed the babies and we just do the washing and we just drive to a job that we're not appreciated in and we do well in it, these are big things that people should recognise for themselves as resilience and skills and have some confidence in themselves and use that to drive themselves more and be happy. You know, be happy that you have these skills, even if you're not using them to your fullest advantage or you feel like you're not appreciated. Appreciate yourself. I think that's probably one of my biggest messages. Don't worry about what everyone else is saying, doing or thinking. Worry about what you're saying, doing and thinking and try and make it as positive about yourself as possible because at the end of the day, if no one else does, at least you've got you doing that for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I totally agree. And I, I thank you for recognizing what mothers do because I'm a single mother at, at 48 sometimes. Oh, wow. <laughs> sometimes I have to tell my kids, um, I, I told them this just a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know how many days that I don't want to be bothered with because I have you guys, I get up and I do the things that I'm supposed to do. And when you guys are hungry or you, cause you know, it's like I can eat cereal or toast, but I have to cook you a meal. So you have to be, you know, you have to realize <laughs> that. And, and it is, it's, it's a lot. And you're right. It's, it's something that we just do. You don't look for the accolades. You're not, looking for anybody to be your cheerleader because you just know it's something you have to do and you have to get it done. So you're, you're not waiting for a whole big fanfare. So we do need to stop and be proud of ourselves sometimes. Yes. So that was such a great segue. We're going to go into our, our 10 questions. So are you ready, Becky? I am. Okay. First question. Who or what motivates you? I motivate myself. Mm. I've been asked many times, what's my mentor? Who do I, who inspires me? I have a lot of people who inspire me now because I've gone looking for it. But at the end of the day, I inspire myself because mm. I can't and I haven't been able to count on anyone else up until I've had that sort of shift. But you know what? I actually inspire myself and that's okay. Okay. What demotivates you? Mm. I think what demotivates me, I try not to let anything demotivate me, but I think if I let it, the state of the world, mm. you know, the the divisiveness, the separation, the, the division that our media deliberately creates for sensation and for talking points between gender, between races, between religions, between countries, um, between North and South, um, between East and West, you know, anything that can create a divide is, is edified in our society currently and we're all othering, you know, oh, I'm not that and I'm not that, but I'm this and this is the most important thing to be. And I find that so demotivating. I find it so sad because I've lived my life learning from so many different things and so many different people. I think that's really a loss that our society is not even recognising it's doing to itself. Mm. Okay, when was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Oh, God, I've narrowed down to one. Um, Okay, I'll go back to this poison pen letter. So I'd just been made a manager at 24. Um, My boss was talking me up and saw my skills. It was exciting. He gave me a pay rise, set me up for expectations that never got realised anywhere else. Thank you. But, you know, so it was a really fantastic time. I was so excited. I was so motivated. I was so determined to do good. I was reading management texts and kind of studying how to do a good manager job and really embracing this opportunity. And this um, nasty old woman um, wrote me this poison pen letter that she published for everyone in the job. Mm. So... 
Yeah, um, wait for it. It gets worse. So that was that was confronting in and of itself to be so exposed and so vulnerable. And when you tie that back into a, a childhood where that was a big deal, it really hit. So, and then in this letter was um, the relationship that I had with the manager in order to obtain this position in her eyes mm-hmm. in great detail um, with quite a bit of venom um, in terms of, you know, how personal, um, I suppose, commentary on my looks, on my capabilities, on my uh, the way I presented, you know, it was literally just poison on a page. And I never had anything like that outside of my own home. So to find this in a professional environment from an older woman when, you know, women support women and all that sort of stuff was just so confronting. I would have, I would have coped better if it had to come from a man, to be perfectly honest. Um, that, was, that was hard. It was so hard. And, you know, I kind of had already been trained from a younger age. You don't cry on the job. You don't let them see your weakness. You don't show vulnerability. You don't let them know you got to it. But that was, like, she said that in the middle of the night. So that was the first thing I saw when I got to work and the first thing everybody else saw. So sitting there reading this, not only the poison directed personally, but knowing that everyone else had been exposed to that poison was just mortifying. Uh, mortifying isn't even the word. I don't even have words for how excruciatingly awful that was, that feeling. Wow. But, yeah, yeah, wow. Um, Yeah, I still actually to this day can't believe it. I have a copy of it floating around, which I find every couple of years and read and kind of go, (laughs) you know what, thanks. Because what she taught me was that no one appreciates you doing a good job if they have their own problems. Mm. that other people's problems can spray over and affect you and you don't have to take it on. It would took a long time for me to get my head around it, obviously. There was a fair bit of work I had to do on that. But that's what it gave me very early in my management. And being a woman, I think, too, it kind of gave me an immunity to anyone else doing this because, as I said, it wouldn't have been quite so bad had a man done it. But now that a woman had done it, if a man had done it, it would have been like, oh, that's just hilarious. Yeah, good one. Um, So it taught me to give less of the Fs than what I probably did. Like I still wanted to be a good manager and do all these things, but at the end of the day, I kind of had that realisation that not everyone's going to like me. And I shouldn't want everyone to like me because that way it lies some crazy pants type of behaviour because you're always changing to reflect what other people want. But also, too, that, you know, I'm an auditor, I do quality. So if I kind of go 10% sample size, it's never going to be my fan. That's okay. So it forced me again to kind of really realise those things much earlier than I suppose some people do. You know, at 24, you're not kind of generally getting that message. That's something that tends to happen later in life. So I got a lot of learning from that very early and very early in my management journey, which is kind of, like I said, immune to me to the slings and arrows of others, shall we say, because there's always been interesting feedback on my management style and the type of person I am. You know, I wear weird colours in my hair because I can. Um, And the way I dress and the way I look and the colour I dye my hair does not impact the way I do my job Mm. and my capability in delivering. So it gave me that that attitude very early of like, you can judge me all you want, but at the end of the day, how about you judge what I do instead of who I am? Mm. And then after that, maybe you might like to get to know who I am and maybe make a different judgment, but it wasn't important. Um, it just it just helped really soften that concept that I must be a good manager and my team must love me. No, I must be a good manager and do my job. And if my team loves me, that's a bonus. Mm-hmm. So that was probably a really powerful lesson very early, despite how terrible it was in its execution. Okay. What is your fear? My fear, stopping. Mm. Fear of stopping. The fear of having nothing else to do and no motivation anymore. Okay. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? No. No, I tend to have a, a philosophy. I'd rather regret the things I did do than the things I didn't do. It's probably... 
Yeah, no, I kind of regret some studies I didn't do, but not to the extent that I'm kind of, you know, that's a big deal. No, I've always kind of gone, if I feel that fear, if I think I'm going to regret that, I should probably do it because I'm going to learn something. I've always used that as a motivation. So, so no, I'm really struggling to kind of um, probably travel, maybe travel when I was younger, but I was so focused on my career, there was always other time for that. And it's been great to travel as an older woman, but I think I would have loved to experience that, you know, kind of in your 20s partying kind of holiday. Mm-hmm. But then again, I may never come back from that. I might have liked it too much. So. <laughs> okay. Well, and this is the, the the converse of that. So it's probably the same thing. But the question is, is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Time wish I had not done something. Um, probably there's a few, I suppose, work decisions, you know, a few, um, a few times where I probably stuck out a job longer than I should have, you know, I probably use that determination and motivation too long to kind of go, you know, I'm not going to let this beat me when the realization was that it wasn't about me, it was about them. And that, you know, you don't have the power to change everyone, no matter how motivated and how powerful you are. At the end of the day, if someone is just refusing to come to the party, there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. And so recognising that the difference between being motivated and being stubborn. Um, so there's been a few moments where I've kind of gone, yeah, that probably could have been easier on me if I'd made better choices at the time or been confident enough to back myself and know that there was another job and another area I could go to instead of thinking I must stay here and I must make it work. Um, Regretting not doing. I think that's probably my biggest regret, I suppose. Again, I don't live my life looking at things I did or didn't do and regrets. I look at what I have done and I look at what I still can do. So probably listening to my doctors, um, you know, there's, a, there's some regrets around believing them um, and being told so early in my life how soon it was going to be over. But then again, the positive, and this is where I always go, but the positive side of that is it's motivated me to do so much more and achieve so much more earlier in my career than most people do. So there's always, I suppose it's really hard to talk about regret because there's always that silver lining on the other side of that experience. So I'm not sure if that helps answer your question, really. <laughs> okay. Um, what is your definition of success? Wow. My definition of success in the fewest amount of words I can make it is knowing what you want, achieving what you want, and being satisfied with what you've done. Okay. How do you recharge? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure that I do. Um, so with the disease, I have a fatigue syndrome that comes with it. So I'm often tired whether I have had good sleep or not. One of my things for kind of just downtime is reading. I'm still an avid reader. I devour books. I don't just read them apparently according to my friends. So, um, learning to take those moments and just, you know, it's okay to read a chapter. I don't have to read a book in one sitting um, because I have five minutes and I just need my brain to tune out. I probably embrace a bit more television and, and some series. I'm exploring the concept because in my writing, I'm, I'm looking at how other people tell stories. So I'm kind of exploring those concepts and watching a lot more serialization of dramas and things on television, which I never really used to do. Um, time with my puppies, you know, that's that's a bit of a recharge moment for me because it forces me to be really present with them. You know, I can't be thinking about the job, I can't be thinking about the client, I can't be thinking about, you know, my, my interviews coming up or my speaking gigs or what I'm going to write next. I just have to be really present with them and enjoy them being ridiculous, crazy little monsters that they are. So that's probably another way of recharge. And hanging out with friends, taking time out to go, go and have lunch. And not talk about work and business and just be silly and just laugh and carry on and, you know, act 21, even though we're not that age anymore. And just enjoy being present with people who enjoy being present with me. That's a really good way of recharging for me too. Mm. What are you awesome at? Oh, so many things. Um, <laughs> I'm also talking, if you probably can't figure that out. Um, look, I, I, I'm I, becoming more comfortable saying I am awesome at a lot of things. I, Everything I put my mind to, I'm pretty successful at. I can't ride a bicycle, um, but I suspect that might be your next question, what am I not awesome at? Um, and I, I use that to keep me humble. I can get on a bicycle and I can pedal. I can't turn and I can't stop. I fall off instead because that's all I can do. It's kind of funny. Um, but I have no desire to ride a bicycle, so I'm okay with that. Um, 
I'm awesome at writing. I've kind of really embraced the fact that I, you know, have a turn of phrase and I'm really good at crafting and delivering information that is easy to understand, that is gentle to embrace while still challenging the beliefs that you hold. And I've had a lot of that feedback through my blogs and through some of my magazine articles. Um, I'm also at coaching. I have mentoring. I have some really amazing feedback that has caused me to sort of just check in about that and you know one young girl who was not from the construction industry at all she's not really a young girl she's a young woman I should say um no construction knowledge got a project management certificate and was all bubbly and shiny eyed about how wonderful this world was going to be and I'm like oh my god um you know uh, wow you've no idea what you're in for and she was Muslim so she has Mm. this whole life of living a certain way and having certain beliefs, particularly around interactions with men, that I was really challenged to obviously be very respectful of but kind of also have to challenge because of the way construction is and teaching her that it's okay to be confronting to men. It's okay not to believe them. It's okay to actually be more powerful than them. That was really, really challenging because, as I said, I don't want to be disrespectful to her religion and her beliefs and her family and all that sort of thing. So and she was also of my descent, so she's not, um, she's not at all from my culture. Uh, so that was really wow. Um, and just female, and I've mentioned a lot more men than I have females, and she cried on me a lot, which we laugh about now, but I, I was really confronted by because I come from a world where you don't cry, you don't show weakness. Mm. So for her to be comfortable with this was really confronting for me, and I'm supposed to teach her things. So it was, wow. So the first year was pretty chaotic. I was tough on her until I realised that I actually needed to change the way I communicated and I couldn't communicate with her the same way I do with the men because she cried. Um, But also, too, because she take it so personally because she was so wanting to be so good at this. And it took me a while to recognise in amongst all the other stuff that she was so motivated and driven that sometimes her tears were because she let me down. So we both worked on this together and she taught me a lot about mentoring young women and being respectful culturally as well. And I taught her a lot about the bigger, wider world out there and construction and all the rest of it. So she was a project administrator when she starts. She's about to turn into a regional manager and it's been three years. And I kind of, I'm so proud of her. And I know that I helped her do that. Mm-hmm. Without me, she would have got there, I think, because she was brilliant and motivated. But I shortcutted so many things for her by offering her my knowledge and sharing my experiences instead of hoarding them to myself and going, no, well, I did it the hard way, so you should too. I don't believe in that. I did it the hard way. I should know better. And I should know what that feels like and not want anyone else to have to do it that way. And that's what I gave to her. And she is a wonderful, wonderful young woman. She is incredibly powerful. She is incredibly good at what she does. And she's very thankful to me. But as I tell her, you did the work. I showed you where the doors were. I might have helped you open a few, but you did the work too. You embraced everything I gave you and you just embraced it wholeheartedly and took and ran with it, even if you weren't sure and you didn't believe me. So between the two of us, it's been an amazing journey and that's probably one of the things I'm, I'm super proud of and really showed me how good I was at sharing my skills with people. What legacy do you want to leave? Wow. Obviously, my books, leaving, leaving a name. I kind of thought I wanted to leave a legacy in project management, but I'm like, no, no one ever makes it into the books of project management until it's 100 years later. And then we talk about the men that build the bridges, not their wives who actually managed it for 15 years. That's a reference to the Franklin Bridge, by the way. Um, so, I'm, look, I'm, I'm a cover girl on a magazine for the first time ever, which is just kind of incredible to come from the childhood I have and the career that I have to being a glamorous cover girl on an empowerment magazine for women. So I think that's the legacy, if I can sum it up in any way, is the message that women can be more, do more, have more than anything they're told, including what they tell themselves. If I can leave that message for people to find and embrace longer than the term that I have, I think that's a good legacy to leave. Okay. Becky, give the listeners one motivational takeaway. One motivational takeaway. If you follow all the rules, you miss all the fun. 
that's a Catherine Hepburn quote that I kind of really embrace in my life. Mm, that's good. Okay, tell the listeners how they can connect with you. Okay, so I'm all over the socials, despite my reluctance. Um, so Words of Beck is pretty much my tagline. You'll find me on Facebook under Planet Beck Star, but titled Words of Beck, Instagram at Words of Beck, website at wordsofbeck.com.au, and uh, LinkedIn as well, uh, Becky Beckstar Peroz on LinkedIn if you want to make a professional connection. Um, hopefully. Oh, and of course, by the way, Mag, that I'm a cover girl on and that has all my deeds in there too. Plus, it would be really awesome to have more people hear my story and hopefully be motivated by the fact that they can do it too. Oh, absolutely. Well, Becky, I want to thank you for taking time out and actually motivating and inspiring me and the listeners as well. And I want to thank you very much. I was really engaged when I found this opportunity because of your history with um, with the military. I can only imagine how tough that is. And I, I get that we would have similar challenges in what we've done. So I want to say thank you for being one of those forerunners. And obviously being a single mom, I can't even imagine doing all those things. So it's just I love talking to other amazing women. So thank you for this opportunity and thank you to your listeners who make this possible. Oh, so kind of you. Thank you. If you like Trina Talk, please don't forget to go out to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving. Because success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.